Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I am Charlie, joined by Reed as always. Uh, Reed, we got to watch this game together for the first time in like years, literally, I think. Um, this is an amazing game. Oregon 41, BYU 20. Uh, let's do some instant reactions from the game and just uh, kind of break down what it might mean for the rest of Oregon season, shall we? Yeah, it, it's certainly going to be uh, probably the most fun game to break down yet, I would say. Yeah, man. Um, some things I want to start off with. Uh, Oregon won this game on the ground. Um, obviously, they had some explosive passing plays through the air, most notably Bo to Troy Franklin. And, uh, you know, three <laughs> or sorry, two passing touchdowns, obviously, get it done in that way to Terrence Ferguson. But um, 212 yards on the ground to BYU 61. Uh, that's not sack adjusted, but or here, sack adjusted is 212 to 65. So um, a dominant game on the ground for Oregon. Uh, they shut down BYU to 2.8 yards per carry while averaging almost five themselves. Um, in general, a great game, right? This game was over pretty much at halftime, definitely after the third quarter. Uh, what were your kind of, <laughs> I know them, but people listening might not, what are your kind of instant takeaways from a game like this? Yeah, it went as well as it could have really in the first half. Uh, and like you said, at that point, it, it pretty much was all over. Um, yeah, I was I was really impressed with this showing. I thought that the offense, uh, I was just really impressed by how flawless the execution was, uh, at least while Bo Nix was in there. And it allowed Oregon to build this really big lead, and, and they never took their foot off the gas uh, until the game was pretty much put away. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of expected that BYU might have a slow start. That's one of the things we previewed because that's what happened against Baylor. And I thought Oregon's defense could show up in a similar way. Um, but I didn't know that, that Oregon would be able to move the ball with such little resistance on BYU. I, I expected there was a path to, you know, mid thirties in points, but I didn't think it would happen, uh, in the first half, basically, you know, so that was a that was a really awesome showing yeah um and we'll get into the chronology of what happened in a little bit but um the other thing i like like i already mentioned one of our big keys was the run game um and the ducks owned the lines of scrimmage in this game and that that was the difference honestly um you look at gameonpaper.com which is something we use pretty much every episode to talk about these things um, the win probability was at 99% halfway through the game for Oregon, which is as good as you can ask for in a game like this. Um, obviously, in context, it's a huge win, but you dig into the numbers and EPA per play, Oregon was in the 82nd percentile, success rate 94th percentile with a 55% success rate. That's really good against a solid team in BYU. Um, you know, there's there's the eternal struggle between you know, like you're watching a team do well against another one and you have to ask like, okay, is, is Washington good or is Michigan state fraudulent, right? Is Oregon actually good or is BYU a little bit overrated, maybe more so than they should be. I think the answer is typically like a little mix of both, right? Um, I still think BYU is a decent team. They still seem to think they can win nine, 10 games this season um, in that fan base, but I don't really care to be honest um, because Whatever BYU was when they came in here, they might think of themselves a little differently afterwards. Um, after that one explosive play they had on the first play of the game, 
there really wasn't anything BYU's offense could do for pretty much the rest of the half. Um, again, things like uh, EPA per rush, they were in the fourth percentile. That's bad. Fourth percentile with a negative EPA per rush. That's expected points added. Um, the Ducks, 77th percentile in that category. Like, you just go down the line and you see a dominant performance from Oregon um, in, the plays that, in the places that really mattered. And really, this was just a, a fun game um, from a viewing perspective. Like, that pass downfield to Troy was awesome. I'm glad we got some more downfield passing going. Nix was lethal over the middle of the field, uh, especially to Terrence Ferguson on that touchdown. Um, and even getting it done with his legs, punching in all three uh, rushing touchdowns on his own. So, um, any other general kind of observations you had before we want to jump into the timeline a little bit? Yeah, I think another thing we forecasted was you mentioned the Troy Franklin thing, and that was a big takeaway I had from the game. We kind of mm-hmm. saw against Eastern Washington that Franklin was separating himself as that number one wide receiver, and I think that that was really solidified in this game as well. Um, he was the guy who who had the big kind of home run play for this offense um, that was was definitely a defining moment where I started to feel more confident about Oregon um, and like they were on their way to putting it away. Uh, and so th- that was a huge, huge breakout performance again and kind of solidifying himself as that go-to receiver for this team that was a big storyline everyone was watching going into the year. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, and we'll we'll get into, as former listeners or already listeners, previous listeners, that's what I'm looking for. As a lot of y'all know, uh, we will dig into more observations about the entire team as we go through this uh, chronological order, these drives here. But um, obviously, I mentioned before, BYU gets the big play on first down, 35-yard completion against Triquiz Bridges. This is something we saw a couple times throughout the game, is that Quez was the main guy getting burned. They weren't really able to, they didn't really try to throw it, Gonzo, that much on the other side at all. And when they did, he played very played it very well. Um, is it time to see somebody else at CB2? Uh, maybe Dante Manning or somebody else? Yeah, we saw that kind of change throughout the game. Um, it seemed like Triquez was getting taken off more and more for Julio Florence or Dante Manning as the game progressed. And I think everyone's kind of wondering um, if there's a chance for someone else to take over that cornerback two spot. Triquez probably has the most experience in general in this defense, but uh, or just during his time at Oregon. I mean, obviously no one's that experienced in this scheme, but I think that, you know, Jaleel Florence is probably the highest upside guy it feels like right now, just based on how young he is. Uh, I think that we've seen some things that are questionable from both Manning and Bridges. Um, I mean, Bridges athletically, I think, just might not have the the twitch and fluidity necessary necessary to be that lockdown corner, uh, and we're still waiting for Dante Manning to put it all together. Florence physically uh, is is a pretty ideal option. He just needs the experience, and he's still obviously a true freshman. Um, but maybe it's something that we look at coming out of the bye week, where where Florence is able to take over that spot. Uh, and potentially be, you know, if not the solid cornerback to at least a consistent rotation piece there. And, and on that note, 
I mean, this conference in general is looking like it has some better passing offenses than maybe mm-hmm. we knew going into the year. Uh, USC isn't on the schedule, but, you know, there's a good chance right now, potentially they'd be a matchup in a conference title game with whoever gets there. Uh, and, of course, Washington this weekend looked really yeah. good through there. Uh, and, yeah, Michigan State secondary wasn't good, but Oregon's hasn't looked great either outside of uh, Gonzalez. So it's certainly something that you want to solidify getting into the home stretch of Pac-12 play. And I think that moving away from Bridges seems like it could be a a good option at some point this year. Yeah, it's just something to keep an eye on, I think. Um, Like you said, he's got the most experience. So as of right now, I'd maybe stick with him. But see how he works out in the Wazoo game. That's one team where we don't really fear a a passing attack quite like we used to uh, in the conference. But, um, I mean... Point being, like, I think Florence was fine when he came in. Nothing, like, special, um, you know, as expected from somebody that age. Um, BYU, though, on the rest of this drive, this opening drive, um, Brandon Dorless gets a big sack, uh, and they go three and out after the the one completion. Um, solid from Oregon's defense for sure. They get the ball at their own 36 uh, and in one play, they flipped the field uh, with this nice little pass to Chris Hudson. Um, this was one of the only times that Oregon actually threw the ball behind the line of scrimmage this game. I was surprised to see that kind of stat. Maybe the ones that are backwards count as laterals, and that's why they're not showing up on, on these official statistics. But um, obviously, I can think of one later in the game that was almost disastrous. But uh, I think it was a little bit of a different approach from Oregon's offense than maybe we're used to seeing uh, from the first two weeks. Again, I there's not much we can draw from those first two weeks. I think pretty much every Oregon fan will be using this game as the barometer rather than those first two. Um, but in terms of the Ducks being able to move the ball, even without a, a key guy in Byron Cardwell, um, they still seem very confident in the run game. I mean, Bucky Irving gets two carries, and that's 41 yards uh, in in this second drive, and all of a sudden we're at the two-yard line. Bo Nix punches it in. Um, is there clarity in the running back room? Does it even matter at this rate? Like, do we – we can't just keep talking about who we want our rotations to be, right? Like, I – personally, I was even fine with Jordan James towards the end of it. Um, he – Originally, when we were watching it, we were like, why is this guy in the game? Why isn't Byron there? Of course, we come to find out that Cardwell was in and out of practice all week and wasn't fully 100% for this game, so they kept him out. Um, but I don't know. I guess just what are your thoughts on the run game after a game like this? Yeah, I mean, Jordan James is an interesting case. Having a true freshman be your short yardage back uh is a pretty unconventional decision. I mean, those are some of the highest leverage plays of the game, and you'd think that you'd pick someone a little more physically developed um, and with some more you know, snaps under his belt in those situations. But I think it's safe to say George James kind of won us over uh, over the course of that game because um, he, he pretty much converted all of those opportunities. In terms of the running back room in general, I mean, learning Cardwell was out was an interesting thing. Obviously, we don't have that much clarity about the nature of, of his injury or why he was missing time this week. 
uh, it seemed like Lanning suggested that it was a borderline decision and that he probably could have gone if needed in this mm-hmm. game. And, and that uh, probably reveals a mu- as much about the running back room as anything right now and how they saw BYU as well is that, you know, Oregon had a lot of good options that they could use to win this game. Uh, and Irving proved that on this first drive, breaking off a 36-yarder. Um, that was kind of the tale of what we saw for the rest of the game. They were not able to corral this running back group really at all. Um, and yeah, so it was a great start. Definitely. Um, I mean, we keep going in this game and it's, it's more of the same story. BYU really just couldn't get anything going. They go three and out on their next possession, which is huge. I mean, we've talked about scripted drives before, uh, quite a bit on this show, and to be able to stop a team who, you know, already has their, their drives planned out is pretty impressive. Um, Oregon gets the ball back this time in great field position at the BYU 49. Um, I can't exactly remember the defensive uh, standout plays on this one. But again, I mean, you can see just from the box score, like run for three yards, run for two yards, incompletion, punt. That's a, that's a recipe for success on defense. Um, when you're, you know, when you're starting from inside the other team's territory, um, on the second offensive drive for Oregon, it was Whittington. Um, Nick's gets him on a a pass completion to McCormick, but sandwiched in between Whittington runs. Um, there's the pass interference call on BYU. Uh, and then Whittington has one more negative play before, um, the Ducks trudge on. And in this case, I thought it was actually really interesting. Um, there was the free play, the first one of the game, um, where Nix ends up throwing it over the middle and incomplete to Ferguson. But I, in looking back, I was watching the highlights a little bit, um, and I was looking at this play. I don't know why it was included in a highlight package, but I think somebody was open on the far side. So I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit of a mistake from Nix. But in general... Um, it only we they get us to third and ten. Uh, this part was kind of odd. Like we complete a pass to Jordan James for six yards. You kind of assume they're ready to go for it on fourth down, and then there's a delay of game penalty, and then they take the field goal to go up ten to zero. Does that kind of red zone? Uh, what do you call it? It's, I don't want to say incompetence, but does leaving an opportunity on the field like that? you know, mean anything to you? Or is it just kind of, I mean, obviously it's one field goal out of five, six straight scoring drives that the rest of them were touchdowns. Like, does that spell any concern for you? Or is it just kind of something fluky? Yeah, I think that it, more than anything, I think it speaks to this staff's confidence in their game plan going into this game. Uh, I just don't think they felt like they needed to, to risk a fourth down conversion there. I think they felt pretty good about Oregon's ability to consistently move the ball. And uh, I know some people say that, you know, not going for it on fourth down is, is a vote of, you know, a lack of confidence in your offense. But on the other side, I think it, it showed that Oregon didn't feel like they needed to win this game on the margins and just getting up 10, nothing was enough of an, of a lead to kind of keep their distance from BYU and, and never give them an opportunity to seize that momentum back. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think the same can be said of, 
you know, obviously you'd like a little more awareness from Knicks on some of those free plays um, of an offsides call where you can take a shot and obviously enter inter- any interception or, or incompletion is going to be negated uh, by the penalty. Um, so it's only upside there. But on the other side of that, uh, Knicks was excellent all game in not putting the ball at risk, you know, and honestly, that was a big key to the game going into it was, was Ken Bonex be conservative enough to not beat himself and not have Oregon beat themselves because that was always going to be a path for BYU into this game. Uh, and he was really good with that on the day. And so, you know, if it means that he doesn't take those shots um, for a free play here and there, but he doesn't put the ball in harm's way the rest of the game, I think you have to live with that trade-off. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of the fourth down decision, I think it spoke to the fact that Oregon thought they could win this game playing conservative. They didn't think Mm -hmm. they needed to roll the dice necessarily to, to outplay BYU. I, I like that. I agree. Uh, and we also talked about this in context of the injuries, right? If um, if Cardwell and Justin Flo were both like good to go on a on a need to basis, um, like they probably would have if Landing and Co. like thought Oregon might be in trouble in this game. But from start to finish, it it didn't look like Oregon really struggled with it at all. Um, and I was actually kind of thinking about it later on that night or last night, in context of the uh, A&M and Miami game as well, right? Um, A&M had, like, two of their top secondary guys suspended for, like, a violation of team rules. And at halftime, uh, Holly Rowe asked him, asked Jimbo, like, or do you think these guys are going to factor in? Like, I think another one of their DBs got injured. Um, and he was like, nope, a suspension is a suspension. And, like, you know, on paper, you would say, well, that's kind of stupid, right? If you want your best players playing in the game, like, even if they're suspended, you might really need them in this game. But on the other side, it puts more confidence in your team. Um, and again, like you're saying, that that fourth down decision, even to kick a field goal, can still put more confidence in your team, even if it doesn't do as much in terms of strictly momentum. Um, speaking of momentum, the only momentum BYU ever really built in the first half uh, came on their next drive here at the end of the first quarter, and it stretched into the beginning of the second quarter. Um, it was an extremely long drive. I'm trying to find the, the exact number in front of me. Um, but let's see, 10 play 75 yard drive for four. It took four and a half minutes. Um, they use a mix of run and pass and they did encounter, um, two third downs. They were both third and short. Um, but again, really, it wasn't like BYU was creating anything explosive. I think their biggest yardage gain on this entire drive was something like, 11 yards um, on a pass play. So despite the the yards that they were getting, you know, on offense, they still couldn't really move the ball that much against Oregon's defense. Um, and then they score on the first play of the second quarter on that, that touchdown pass. But um, it was disappointing, to say the least. But I still don't know if Oregon was necessarily worried, especially after their next offensive drive, which resulted in another touchdown and a convincing drive at that um i I think that the you know first byu touchdown drive was just a tale of oregon not being able to get off the field uh and then a busted coverage kind of you know gives them that last play but 
Yeah, that, that was the only time in the game where it looks like, is Oregon really going to be able to stop the BYU running offense to the degree they need to force them to pass, you know? And mm -hmm. BYU was marginally winning some of those battles, converting on third and threes and third and twos and, and keeping this drive going and then this busted coverage. Um that was unclear, you know, it was a good play call after running the ball a lot uh, that they got Oregon into, but it, it, it wasn't a drive that brought up a lot of red flags, and the good news was as the game wore on, uh, you know, Oregon started to win that battle in the trenches more and more, so it, it, these type of drives didn't really repeat themselves. Yeah, and at this rate, um, obviously the 28-yard pass is disappointing, but um again this is kind of what we expected at this rate from BYU right solid consistent being able to or maybe not consistent but uh in terms of putting putting together a drive they're they're certainly a team capable of it um and they would do it later in the game but not very not as well as on this first drive for sure uh or that their first scoring drive I should say um, so from there, obviously, Oregon gets the ball back, and this is the big Troy Franklin play. Um, they set it up with three straight runs, or sorry, six straight runs. <laughs> it's Bucky, then Bo, Bo, Bucky two more times. Jordan James gets a run on third and one, and then after that, it's the bomb to Troy Franklin down the field. Um, Brock Heward seemed to think that this was like some sort of perfect ball that was thrown by Knicks. I thought it was great. But I do think he could have led him a little more into the end zone. Um, I don't think it was, like, the only place he could have gotten it. But, you know, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. Like, it was an amazing throw. Even better catch by Franklin. Maybe it goes to review if the Ducks don't get up to the line as quickly as they do. Um, but I still thought it was a great play. And then, obviously, the very next play, Nick's earns his touchdown. Um, Troy Franklin being a deep threat, man. This is exactly what we want to see from these guys. Um it's awesome. I love to see it. Yeah, I think that this is the type of shot you want to take. You know, was the ball placement absolutely perfect? Maybe not, but it was the type of throw you want to Troy Franklin. And even if it wasn't a perfect pass, it was never in risk of being intercepted. And that's the important yeah. thing on those those shots. Uh, you just gave Troy Franklin an opportunity to make a play, and he's proven now that he's the type of receiver who can do that um obviously that was the defining play that kind of you know made this drive successful uh jordan james obviously on the play before that we see a third and one his kind of first opportunity in short yardage and he gets it done as we talked about before um and then another through line of the game bo Nix running the ball and uh, and capping off a drive you mentioned it while we were watching you're like who's Who's the last Oregon quarterback to have three touchdowns on the ground? Of course, Herbert in the Rose Bowl. Um, it was definitely cool to see that from Knicks. Yeah, and like you mentioned with the the downfield passing, that's certainly something that Oregon fans have been waiting to see for a couple of years now um, since Herbert's been gone. And even during the Herbert era, honestly, like there wasn't a, always a ton of downfield passing. Um, again, I'll reference the Miami game, but just in passing. Um, I think that's something they would like to see a little bit more of too. But um, either way, that's the that was the biggest play of the game from a yardage standpoint and kind of from a momentum standpoint. Um, it's the one that 
you know, on the mini highlight packages you'll get on like halftime shows, that's the one highlight they would show. Um, <laughs> so it was it was a really fun play, and like it really brought Otson into the game even more so. Which, by the way, they were awesome all game. Um, BYU gets the ball back, try to put a drive together. Um, they had a, a holding penalty that seemed like it would kill the drive, but then they get a nice twelve yard completion on second and sixteen. They convert the third down. Um, to Cody Epps. I believe that one was also against Quez, although I may be mistaken there. Yeah, I um, think you're right. Either way, they, they keep driving down the field. Um, they get another holding penalty on third and one um, and then proceed to convert it again <laughs> on third and 11, uh, which was pretty annoying. But they get into Oregon territory, and the Ducks do get a stop in the red zone. Or did they even get to the red zone? I'm not sure. Um, I believe they yeah, were just the edge barely of it, outside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so either way, they they whittle it down to the twenty-ish uh, yard line, miss the field goal. Love to see it. We talked about this in the preview again. Jake Oldroyd, the uh, BYU kicker, has had his struggles this season. Even though he used to be one of the best kickers in college football. Uh, at the beginning of his career so baffling but i'm not complaining um i'll I'll take the missed field goal uh and then oregon does something really really important to close off this half i thought this was absolutely key in what you call like the middle eight Uh, oregon really owned that middle eight minutes of the game um closing out this drive they get the ball back with six minutes left and then they march for a shoot what i gotta find the exact number um it was an extremely long extremely successful 79 yards 13 plays yep yep (laughs) absolutely insane uh and it took five and a half minutes so again it wasn't just that oregon's offense played super well or that they were necessarily that efficient all the time um but especially in this first half it's the range of what they showed right this is a drive you expect a team like Wisconsin to be able to make to, to close out a game. Um, but, you know, if you can have that kind of downfield passing threat and also pound the ball like you did against a physical BYU team, that bodes pretty, pretty well heading into Pac-12 play. Um, another thing I was impressed on on this drive specifically is the fourth down conversions. Oregon was 3-for-3 three three on the day. Uh, they weren't great on third down, actually, only 4 of 12. But again, if you're if on three of those third down misses, quote unquote misses, if you're setting yourself up for a, an easy conversion on fourth down, that's pretty much as good as the conversion itself, right? So um, on fourth and one, that was kind of the big decision. They were still on their own 30-yard line on the opening series. Uh, they go for it with Jordan James in these goal line sets. Um we saw Nick sneaking it quite a bit out of these sets. We saw them also just doing a basic handoff to the to the running back. Usually, I believe it was Patrick Herbert filling in at fullback, which isn't really a position anymore, but or at least not personnel wise. Like people don't carry fullbacks anymore, by and large. Um, what did you think of these goal line sets, man? I, I enjoy it personally. I'm glad we have it in the bag. Yeah, I mean they were successful for the most part. Uh, I think that the Nick sneak is is a good thing. Um, sometimes I felt like he was going down a little a little quickly. Uh, you know, he just kind of fell rather than leaning on the O line a little bit and and trying to extend those. But you mm-hmm. know, it is what it is. Um, 
but Jordan James came through on those fourth downs. I mean, that that decision when, you know, you're on your own 30, it's a fourth down with five minutes left or, or thereabouts in the half. And, yeah, Oregon had been dominating that game, uh, but at the same time, it's only 17-7. to seven. You know, mm-hmm. if you turn the ball over there, all of a sudden BYU has a chance to cut it to at least one possession, you know, assuming they make a field goal and potentially cut it to three. Uh, but yeah, the, that middle cor- that middle eight, you know, is what defines a lot of these games. And it was an opportunity to kind of punctuate how much Oregon had been controlling that entire half and make the scoreboard reflect that. Uh, you don't want to let BYU get to the locker room, you know, in a one or two possession game there because, that just wasn't reflective of, of how much Oregon had been controlling it. Um, and so making mm-hmm. those big plays. And, and then I loved what you said about the range of the offense on this in this first half. I mean, they start the game off with a four-play touchdown drive. You know, then on the Troy Franklin drive, it's whittling the ball down the field with some runs, and, and then you're able to hit a deep shot. And then this one is, is an old-school drive, you know, slowly kind of – milking the clock you get it with just under six minutes left and it's the perfect situation to say we're up 10 let's you know make this a six minute drive and bleed out the entire clock and try to get at least a field goal hopefully a touchdown and and put this to three scores and really kind of erase any hope of BYU to win this thing uh without something you know crazy happening in the second half and that's exactly what the team put together um I I really liked the call to go for it on fourth and one at the 30, even though it was risky. I I just think that uh, Oregon's offensive line was, was proving that it was able to get the push there. And Mm -hmm. I think it's good to trust your team in those moments, um, especially when it's that short of a yardage Uh, and, you know, rolling it down all the way. And then Ferguson to cap that drive off from, 15 yards out um he is just really transforming himself into a weapon I mean we always saw the frame there but it's all coming together for him and that was a catch that you know the guy just bounced off him in the end zone basically um there was never kind of a doubt that he was coming down with that ball and that was just really the perfect drive to cap off that first half something else we have to mention about this drive is uh, especially for a new staff, is the clock management was really sound on this drive. Um, at no point was I fearful that, uh, you know, we <laughs> none of those fears that we had with Mario were coming back in terms of clock management, um, which, again, for the third time I'll mention the Miami game, definitely showed up in that game. Um, and I'm not making a Landing versus Cristobal argument overall right now. I'm just saying the clock management is better than what we're used to, which was really refreshing to see, I think. Um a lot of big conversions on this drive, though, as well. I, I mentioned both the fourth downs. Um, there was that. Uh, there was another third down somewhere in there, I believe, or maybe not. I guess, yeah, I guess not. Anyways, that pass to Coda was huge, um, forcing BYU to call that timeout after a first down, just to get their defense in a different position, or just to get new guys on their defense was really important. I think, um, in terms of saying like just in terms of denoting each team's capability in this game, right? 
Um, BYU is up against the ropes at that point, and they still give up a touchdown after, you know, needing a kind of bailout timeout at the end of that drive. Like, that's absolutely huge. Um, and just again, as we talk about Coda, like, so many different weapons were used. I think Nick's completed, like, I think he hit seven or eight different receivers in the first half total. Um, that's awesome from a passing perspective. Uh, and he was damn near perfect again through the air, like he was against Eastern Washington. So, I mean, if he has a Georgia problem, like, so be it. I don't think this team's expectations are high enough to be, like, making a national title this year. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Um, so as long as he can play like this against the rest of the Pac-12, the rest of the Pac-12, against Pac-12 teams, um, I'm, I'll be pretty damn confident in it. Um, and again, even when BYU gets the ball back, right, they just they do a quick little short run and they give up on the half. Um, all the momentum was with Oregon, and it was all because of that big drive towards the end of the half right there. Um, I thought that was really impressive. And then they get the ball back to start the second half, and it's another really impressive scoring drive. Uh, I'll, I'll let you handle this one. Like, What stood out to you on this drive to start the third quarter? Yeah, it was it was a lot of more of the same. I mean, I think uh, getting again a bunch of different guys involved and all able to break off, you know, first down yardage. It's Marquis Irving for an eleven yard run, then Troy Franklin goes for a twenty four. You get stopped, but then to Maliki Matavao for twenty two. This is kind of the offense we envisioned, having all these weapons and having a quarterback capable of distributing is coming together here um and yeah he pretty much just roll through i mean noah whittington had comes in and, and he gets his 11 yard run then you're in a first and goal situation um and to cap it off on third and goal it was i think the bo Nix read option there where he pulls it completely fools the byu defenders yeah and kind of just knifes up the middle through this gap shoots it and, and is able to get in uh, and it was awesome to see him running the ball aggressively in those situations. You know, he, he doesn't have to do it every time, but occasionally in those high leverage moments, you know, a third and goal, it's like you got to make those reads. And when you decide to keep the ball, you better be really, you know, going for that end zone. You can't be timid there. And he made his decision, you know, looked like a running back, saw the hole, takes a step and just goes straight forward and dives and is like, I'm going to get to that plane uh, and mm -hmm. did it. So that was a, a super impressive drive that was more of what we saw throughout the first half. Uh, and at that point, I mean, you're looking at the fourth touchdown drive and, and one field goal in the first five drives of the game. Um, and we saw that continued with another touchdown drive uh, the next time the Ducks got the ball. Yeah, uh, again, on this drive to start the third, like, two times you get to second and ten, and I wasn't even worried about it. Um, Which again, was Based really, on our expect... Yeah. It's just so refreshing from last year when it felt like yeah. any time Oregon got behind the sticks, it, it was just hopeless. But Bo has consistently proven that he's, you know, able to make those decisions to pick up double-digit di yardage at, you know, on a second or third down. And, and get to another first down and keep the drive going. And even in the from a play calling standpoint, the the you know Kenny Dillingham still has the offensive um, confidence 
to go for it on first, fourth down. And you can tell just by his play calls, like earlier in the in these potential fourth down series, like second and ten at the BYU eighteen, Noah Whittington just run up the middle. I mean, you're already in field goal range at that point, but I think everybody knows, like based on how the first half went, that if you get it into a fourth and short, Oregon will be taking that. Um, and the numbers say that we'll be converting it as well. So that's, again, very refreshing. Um, actually, I think our fourth down, fourth down rate was decent last year. Um, but, again, that was another, like, trope of being over-conservative, right, was we, we needed to see more aggressiveness sometimes um, from, the, from a play-calling standpoint. So I thought that was really great. Another BYU three and out right after this. Um, they, they really get stifled, and this really is where the game – is over and from my perspective like as soon as they punt this ball their win percentage goes or their win probability percentage goes from like one percent down to about half a percent uh actually even like a fifth of a percent um and i mean once nicks gets another big pass to chase coda uh all it takes is um whittington running for three and then it's another nine yard pass to terrence ferguson for a touchdown so oregon was literally scoring on offense quicker than BYU was punting on defense in as many plays. Again, just super refreshing. Like this is a lot closer to the Oregon of old that we're used to, or not super old, but you know, old for us, like five, 10 years ago. Uh, well, maybe not even five years, more like, more like 10, 15 years ago, um, where the offense would just not even give the other team a chance in the game. Uh, and you see BYU just getting morally destroyed, um, like, even the things they were somewhat doing well weren't clicking anymore. And, you know, credit to them for not giving up on the game. But still, uh, they really didn't have a shot in this one until they finally gained some momentum in the fourth quarter. But um, let's just speed through these next few. Uh, after that second touchdown pass to Ferguson, um, BYU converts one first down maybe two uh and then it's three straight incompletions and a coverage stop i'll call it a coverage stop not a coverage sack um where it's fourth and ten and at the oregon 40 and jaron hall uh goes for it he decides to take off and run and he only gets five yards uh yeah. oregon gets the ball back and they have their first three and out of the game the only one that nicks had the only punt i think that came from a nicks possession even um but then the defense comes up big again and, and gets another big stop. Uh, so at this point in the game, right, in the third quarter, it's not just the offense shutting BYU down. It's also the defense, like, taking over and really stifling the Cougars. Like, if there was ever a chance at a comeback, BYU needed to score on one of these two drives. And the fact that they didn't, I mean, obviously is, is really great from an Oregon standpoint. So who stood out to you on the defense? I've talked long enough in that segment. Yeah, I think that I mean it's worth giving a shout out to DJ Johnson had a had a really impressive play from an effort standpoint on that fourth and ten. He kind of beats his block around the edge, but Jaron Hall's getting flushed out of the pocket and kind of breaks to head up the middle and DJ just throws off his guy to the side and just makes a beeline to catch Jaron Hall from behind and get him down at the five or or, or for only a five yard gain. Um he definitely, you know, we're we're still hoping to see more more production from that edge position, whether it's Johnson or Mace Funa. 
um, or you know whoever Braden Swenson obviously we're, we're waiting to see more from um, but he had six tackles on the day DJ Johnson did uh, Dorless I thought had a good game as well he had one and a half tackles for a loss uh, and got credit for half a sack with Jordan Riley. Um, Dorless, you know, looked like he was imposing as well and, and kind of putting things together. There were a few times where he, he got through and wasn't able to quite get those sacks, but uh, he drew a big, a big holding call uh, kind of by throwing his arms up there, led the team in tackles. Um, I thought he looked better, you know, for sure. I think he was one of the guys who combined for a stop on on that fourth down early in the third quarter, uh, and he was making the the too small sign uh, over for the duck <laughs> sideline after after one of those stops. So it seemed like he kind of knew he had that physical advantage, and this whole team should have. Um, and really, ditto goes for the offense. I mean, on Dillingham. Yeah, he's got some bodies definitely that are more athletic uh, and, you know, certainly higher profile recruits than BYU has. But Dillingham was also a step of step ahead in a play calling perspective all day, it seemed like, um, at least until we get to these Ty Thompson drives. But <laughs> in, in the time that mattered, you know, before garbage time, it was a pretty excellent game plan uh, from the Oregon offensive staff. And and the other guy I have to shout out is Adrian Clem. People made a lot about, you know, what his coaching record was, um, what he had done at UCLA, what that Steelers offensive line looked like a year ago in the NFL, and, and tried to poke some holes in his resume. But since he's came to Oregon, yes, he's inherited a veteran offensive line group, but he's made these guys look really good. Uh, to be honest, you know this this group's starting to look like what Oregon fans, you know, had tried to expect and talk themselves into the offensive line being. But if we're being objective about what we saw under Cristobal, despite his reputation, the past two years the offensive line play was inconsistent. You know, sometimes it was good, but it was inconsistent. Um, that's the only really fair way to characterize it in my mind. And so far through three games, that's been a huge bright spot for Oregon. Even in the Georgia game, uh, QB 11 was talking about, I think, the most yards before contact uh, averaged against Georgia since 2018. Obviously, mm-hmm. everyone knows, you know, Oregon didn't give up our pressure in that game. And, and that's, again, compared to what Georgia usually does to their opponents, that's an incredibly impressive thing to do. So, you know, we'll see what Clem does as the years go forward and as he starts to get his own guys in here. Uh, yes, it's it's in part inheriting Cristobal's group, but I think that he's developed them really well over this year, and I think we see a much better and more cohesive offensive line group, group this season so far than we have the past two years. And it's worth mentioning that that was without um, some key guys, some key guards on this offensive line. Um Bass was in, or not Bass, uh, sorry, Ryan Walk was like in and out. We didn't know how he was going to be. At one point for the jumbo packages, Josh Connerly came in. You know, maybe if there's more problems at guard, he comes in and Bass slides over potentially. Um, But I thought Marcus Harper played just fine when he he was in the game. Um, And I'm really not concerned about, you know, I'm not, I don't think injuries are a concern yet on the offensive line. 
um, based on how these these backups have been able to play. So um, it was just really, again, it was really great to see that. Uh, a lot of those little things that could have broken our way did in this game. Um, and it's not like BYU didn't have injuries to deal with of their own, but, I mean, in the past, like I'm thinking of past Oregon teams, where like two offensive linemen being down would have like decimated our chances uh, in a game against like a really physical team, or not decimated our chances, but severely reduced them. So, um, again, really great to see. Pretty much everything we had seen from this offense was amazing up until the four minute mark in the third quarter, uh, where on first and ten from their own thirty one, Ty Thompson gets in the game. At this point, it's thirty eight to seven. Um, and he throws it like behind and over seven McGee kind of, or no, was it, I think it was Irving and seven ended up recovering it. Um, but either way, it's a loss of 22. Like that drive is screwed. Um, couldn't really do anything with it. BYU gets the ball back and this is where they turn it into a touchdown. Was there anything on this BYU drive that was like concerning at all in in terms of long-term things? Um, or was this just kind of how a football game works? Like, yeah, they got to get some at some point. Um, yeah, personally, I, this was this was the one where there was a holding on Triquez Bridges, but uh, I can't exactly remember the play that led up to it. Yeah, that was that was definitely a questionable call. The whole holding was that kind of shot in the end zone, and and as he makes the move, you know. Triquas maybe is is on him a little bit, but it seemed pretty soft to me uh, in term in terms of you know you got to let the corner do some stuff there. Um, oh, I remembered something from this drive, bro. <laughs> yeah, what was it? This is the drive where I said this touchdown does not count because BYU had a blatant holding call against Dorless that was not flagged. <laughs> um, I believe it was on their third and twelve. Uh, where they completed a 17-yard pass to get it in, <laughs> uh, to get it down inside Oregon's 30. So that's what I remember from this drive. <laughs> yeah, and in general, I would say the thing that worries me most is just these guys in the secondary not taking it personally enough. I think to to kind of lock down their guys. I just the development there, I think, um, has been lagging you know, a bit the past few years and we'll see how it, how it progresses under coach meet. Now, obviously it's, you know, a pretty quick turnaround and hopefully maybe a guy like Jaleel Florence gets up to speed and we do have a second kind of lockdown or, or at least startable pack 12 level corner, uh, because I don't think Oregon does right now. And even in the safety room, it just, you know, to be honest uh, and, you know, be a little bit brutal, BYU just doesn't have athletes on the outside without Nakua and Romney, who are those two-star yeah. receivers who are both injured in this game. I'm sorry, but, you know, all these guys who are playing in Oregon secondary are pretty high-rated. They're guys in high school who probably were the ones on the field who weren't getting thrown at very much because they were locking down their man, you know. And... It's just like the, the receivers you're playing against in BYU when they ha- when they don't have Naku and Romney are not athletes that that should be causing problems for this team. Um, I mean, to a certain degree, I think that 
you're up 30. Uh, and whether it's you let your foot off the gas or from a coverage perspective, you're kind of just, let's just keep things in front of us, you know, make sure that they take their time. If they get 10 yards and we keep it in bounds and the clock's running, they can't beat us, you know? So mm-hmm. sure. I understand that, but you know, in a close game, these guys just have to find a way to lock in because it's, uh, it's just silly sometimes when you watch other football games, you know, watching other things on Saturday, and it's like, oh, it's it seems like these corners are all able to, you know, always be within two or three yards of their men. You know, it, mm-hmm. it seems like they're getting a hand up more, and and yet consistently for Oregon on you know second and long, third and long, guys are finding a way to catch balls beyond the sticks without a defender within three yards of them. Um, and so that, that needs to be cleaned up a bit, definitely, but that's the big thing. Uh, and hopefully, you know, Washington state's passing offense still hasn't clicked yet next week when Oregon goes to Pullman, uh, and, and they can kind of have some extra time to, to develop here, but that's the one question. And, and then on the linebacking core, obviously you lose flow for the game. Hopefully he's back. Um, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a very important player for this defense. But Bassa looked mm-hmm. really good. Um, yeah, Leduc, you know, was was taking his role. Keith Brown had some time in there too. Uh, we'll see how those guys come up. I feel strong, most strongly, and I think you agree about Bassa being yeah. a guy who we could play in the Pac-12 with. I mean, we learned that last year, especially towards the end of the year, he felt like. Uh, power five level starter kind of guy um but it was interesting to see a lot of plays even without Sewell out there as well early in the game and and Sewell's been a little dinged up in fall camp so we wonder if if we're gonna be able to realize that that you know dynamic combination of Flo and Sewell playing 70 percent of the snaps together in games ever or if this is just going to have to be a rotation to manage those two guys health yeah i think another thing that it's important to mention in regards to the passing defense is that i am not sure oregon will face two quarterbacks for the rest of the season that are better than jaron hall um i'm looking at the rest of the schedule right now like there's an argument for Michael Penix Jr. at UW after this week. Um, no. Maybe Cam Rising on a good day. Maybe DTR on a good day. Other than that, like Cam Ward's not what we expected him to be at Wazoo. Maybe McKee at Stanford, but obviously Stanford is, has other problems as well. Um, and so I'm, I'm just really interested to see how this, like you said, how the stack, secondary stacks up to Pac-12 talent. Um, the receiver positions are getting better in the Pac-12. Um, and there's always been a lot of skill talent. It's just not always being able to compete up front in the Pac-12. So um, from that standpoint, like, I mean, I'm looking at this this highlight of the BYU touchdown, their first touchdown in the fourth quarter, and it's, it's just a really good play as well. Um, it's a crossing route into zone coverage. Trequez gets dragged into the middle of the field from the outside receiver. Um, and then the slot guy is, is open in the end zone. He still almost gets there in coverage, but uh, it's a great throw by Hall into one of the only places he can put it. And that's with guys like Brown and J.J. Greenfield on the field who aren't necessarily like starters on this defense. 
Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. that's fair. So I'm still I'm still somewhat confident, but you're right. If there ever was a like potential problem to look out for, it's definitely that. I think the defensive line completely stepped up though, um, and I don't have. I don't have any worries about their ability to to get stops when they need to. Yeah, from a running perspective, they absolutely controlled this game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think the other obvious issue with this defense is creating a pass rush. We haven't yeah. really seen that much so far. Even against Eastern Washington, it wasn't a, a big thing. And I think there was a lot of optimism about kind of a committee approach and and what we'd see Landing do at Georgia and thinking, oh, we've got some talent too and we're playing Pac-12 offensive lines uh, and maybe we're going to be pretty good in in pressure even without Kayvon. And that just hasn't really materialized yet. So, you know, what can you do? We're going to just Mm -hmm. keep seeing what happens. Uh, Hopefully that clicks and and comes together in some of these games because it certainly will be important, uh, especially against some of the better teams like like team like USC. You know, if if we're not getting pass rush versus them, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> it, yeah, it's going to turn into a shootout. You're not going to be getting many stops at all. Uh, and you know, even against someone like Washington, especially with the weakness in the secondary, like you can't give these quarterbacks who some of which in the Pac-12 are, are pretty good, um, to be honest. You know, you can't give them all day against a secondary that's struggling right now. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, this next drive for Oregon is another not great one. Uh, if, you're, if you're still keeping, keeping track, it's uh, later in the fourth quarter after BYU's first touchdown. We're going to breeze through these at this point. but um, Or sorry, first fourth quarter touchdown. Um, Bucky Irving gets a decent return off of a pretty short, or sorry, it was Sean Dollars with a decent return off a pretty short kickoff. Ducks get the ball at their own 32. It would be nice to insert another nice long drive here, uh, where Oregon really controls the pace of the game and can burn off a lot of clock. Didn't see that on this one. Um, it was a, a first and 15 after an illegal substitution before the first play of the drive. Then one negative play, and you're at third and 16. Um, and this is where the interception comes in. Just, I mean, it shows up, obviously, as a pick for Thompson. You can't really put this one on him, though. I mean, it hits Dante Thornton right in the hands, and it bounces off of him into a BYU defender's hands. Um, not two great sample sizes for Ty, um, but not necessarily things you can blame him for. Did you make anything of his performance? No, not really, but I, I don't know. I think it's probably healthy for the fan base to just <laughs> see, like, things aren't clicking yet there. You know, yeah. Bo's the guy. Uh, he proved it in this game. And uh, I don't think Ty's a bad quarterback forever. You know, I think he could be a good player next year. I actually, and Dillingham has a track record of being a pretty good developer of the quarterback position. I don't think the last staff has shown that they were competent at all in developing quarterbacks. <laughs> um, yeah, so it is what it is, right? I mean, Bo's the guy this year. Ty, let's hope, you know, if needed this year, he can do something, or next year he's in that competition for a starting job. But, um, 
It's a situation where you'd like to see him, you know, kind of seize more the opportunity and put together a good drive against a defense that Oregon had been moving the ball on all day. Now the other side of that is, was it really his fault, you know, to get intercepted? No, not at all. I mean, Dante Thornton should have caught that ball uh, and at least, you know, turned it into a, a short yardage gain. But it is what it is. The game was pretty much over at this point. Um, it was nice to at least get the two-point conversion stop when BYU did score on the next play, which I thought was a really bad call, honestly, on the uh, review. Appearance. Well, no, I was going to say on the review of the pass interference oh, yeah. wasn't great either, but the review of that kind of pitch shuffle pass to Christopher Brooks, I thought it looked like Hall's knee was down pretty clearly. Um, whatever, though. Oregon got the stop, yeah. and, and ultimately all that it meant was that, one, you had to bring Bo Nix back into the game, and, and he put together a great drive that ended in a field goal and, and you know, put this game away. But uh, additionally, I mean, unfortunately, the scoreboard's just going to look a little bit closer than the game really was. Uh, of course, you know, when yeah. the teams kind of stopped playing, it was 38-7. to And ultimately, it's a 21-point win, but it is what it is, I think. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for the defense especially that they were given a short field there, and, and it's going to look like they gave up 20 points when – Really, this defense had a had a very impressive performance for the majority of the day when when the game was actually remotely competitive. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about Nick's coming back in. That was great to see. Although, of course, he comes back in and then hands the ball off like six straight times, um, which was kind of funny. Again, Oregon just kind of leaned on its hogs. Um, although Alex Forsyth did had a couple puzzling penalties and another one earlier in this game that's something that's got to get cleaned up but anyways um a 10 yard completion to troy franklin and then a uh, cam lewis field goal ends the drive um oregon doesn't need to go for it on fourth and three from the seven like it doesn't the game is over at this point um and then you know byu still goes for a comeback but uh i they're just playing for pride at that point I will say, I guess it was kind of nice that BYU were so prideful in how they played because it gave Oregon more reps down the stretch um, that are still valuable, even if they don't really mean anything in terms of like winning or losing the game because uh, it was already over at that point. But um, solid performance all around, I think. Uh, we can move on to kind of what this means for the entire team if you want um, or do MVPs first, whatever whatever suits you. Let's get these MVPs out of the way just so we don't forget. Um, yeah. <laughs> on offense, uh, I'll go first, and, and I'll take the obvious one off the board. Bo Nix, I think, deserves all the credit for this game. Uh, was he, you know, he didn't do anything completely insane. You know, he didn't have a Heisman play maybe in there, but he was just ruthlessly efficient uh, and orchestrated this offense almost perfectly uh, to put all these other playmakers in a position to kind of do what they do uh, and really control this game. If you're going to take Knicks out of there, uh, I'll shout out Bucky Irving. 97 yards on just 14 carries. That's a seven-yard per carry average. He had a, a long 36-yard rush at one point and just really showed a lot of good composure running the ball. Um, he and 
uh, James were like two of the later, he really all the running backs in this game, he, Whittington, and James were all late additions uh, to last year's class. James especially, like we barely knew anything about this guy before he was on the field um, against Georgia. So I thought it was really interesting to see how they carried the game without Cardwell in it. Um, all of them, all three of those guys averaged over five yards a carry. That was great to see. Uh, dollars, you know, I would like to see get more touches, but I mean, if the room is being this productive anyways, then so be it. Um, like you said, I mean, Nick's all over the place. In short yardage especially, that was great. Uh, I think we just got to give a shout out to the offensive line collectively because that, I think, was the biggest difference in this game, honestly. Um, I mean, Oregon was running rampant over BYU and uh, the athletic department released this stat. Um, it's Oregon's uh, seventh straight game, or seventh straight win when rushing for 200 plus yards, uh, which I think is, you know, that's, <laughs> call that a major stat. Um, that is really, really important. Um, and that was included in the 258 yards of offense in the first half alone. Uh, we passed 100 in both rushing and passing in that first half, averaging, averaging 8.3 yards per play. That's insane. That's really good. That's like almost to the level of what Georgia was doing to us in week <laughs> one good in the, in the first half. So um, a lot of really encouraging things there on defense. Oh, and got to give a shout out to Ferguson as well. I mean, he's... That's what four touchdowns now in the last two weeks. Like, yeah. he's a legit red zone threat, which is what we were hoping for. Um, especially without Webb there, I mean, it's very tragic. But in in from a scheme standpoint, like he was really important in the red zone as well. So replacing him is important. Um, and then on defense, uh, Doorless is the obvious name that I'll take down. Uh, I'll I'll leave it alone for you to pick up any other guys if you want. Yeah, I think the other guy that that I really should have mentioned before is Christian Gonzalez. This was yeah. a breakout game for him. Um, I mean, he treated these BYU wide receivers the way that you should. You know, it was just any time they tried to get separation on them, any time they tried to catch a jump ball over him, it was pretty much hopeless. Um, and he looked like he was, you know, rounding into lockdown corner form after two pretty good games to start. Uh, you know, I mean, the Georgia game, he got that touchdown pass caught on him, which was unfortunate, but he had a good game otherwise. Uh, and I think that he's going to be really solid. But unfortunately, that also means that, you know, that second cornerback spot is going to get even more attention, probably because they're going to not be throwing much at cornerback at one. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you need two corners to make it work, but assuming someone else can step up, that's a huge person to fill in. Uh, Noah Sewell didn't have a huge game, but he did make his 18th straight start, uh, which I think is somewhat relevant. Um, and then you have guys like uh, TJ Bass made his 24th straight start. Jordan Riley helped on that first sack uh, on BYU's second play of the game. That was pretty cool. So just a great all-around performance, I think. I mean, we can pick, we've can we picked here and there, you know, maybe Quez didn't have a great game. You know, on this play, like Manning didn't do as well. But overall, I mean, this is an amazing team performance. And you got to remember that the entire team does have to do its job on any given down. So really excited about that. Now, for the rest of the season, like, what does this mean? I kind of played this game with the quarterbacks already, but... And we said before the game, like, oh, BYU is probably a, probably a middle to upper tier Pac-12 team. 
Um, I am much more confident in Oregon going forward for the rest of the season. We've been saying for the last two weeks that this game would be the barometer for success or for setting our expectations at least. Um, what what now are your expectations? Ten wins? Nine wins? Pac-12 yeah. Championship appearance? <laughs> I think I'm back to... Well, you know, I, I think we got to be honest too that part of this equation of you know, what are expectations? Also, you have to weigh against what the rest of Oregon's schedule looks like. And frankly, it's been a really successful first three weeks for the Pac-12. Um, yeah. You know, Wazoo got their big win. Washington last night looked really good, uh, to be honest. I mean, especially in the passing offense. Do they have some flaws? Absolutely. You know, I think Oregon's a more complete team, but right now, it looks like a strength of Washington's matches up with a weakness of Oregon's. Uh, the good news is that game isn't until week 11. Um, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of time to, to iron those issues out for Oregon. But there are some challenging games in the schedule. I mean, even the Arizona game uh, traveling down there was a game that we thought maybe was a good win. Now looks a little more in the air. On the other side of that, a game like UCLA at home after the bye week I always had some confidence in, but I think that confidence has been reaffirmed by UCLA's struggles so far this year. Um, so it's hard to say that, that back half of the schedule, that that final three versus Washington, Utah, and Oregon State still looks really daunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of these other games, I think that Oregon looks like a good team that they could go through. You know, I, I was pretty hesitant going into this BYU game about can Oregon make it to the bye week with only one more loss? That seemed like it would be a success at that point. Now I think that these next three games at Wazoo, Stanford, and Arizona, probably more times than not, I think you come out of it with one loss. But I don't think mm-hmm. 3-0 and is off the table anymore. Um, this Wazoo game is probably the most challenging of them. Uh, Arizona seems like a team that's putting a lot together. But from a talent perspective... Oregon should still have an advantage there, um, and it's definitely a roll of the dice in terms of what game you get from their quarterback, Jane Delora. Overall, where does that put me? I think 9-3 and three still feels about right, um, but I'm also really hopeful that this Oregon team can at least just play competitive games the rest of the way against teams mm-hmm. like Utah and Washington, who look pretty good. Um you know, or even if you were to play USC in a in a conference title game, like I, I don't want to have any more more of these results that we've seen. Like we said, go after the Georgia game. You know, four out of the last five had been blowouts against Oregon. That just looks like you know it's it's just a really bad look for the program. It makes you look like a dysfunctional football team when you have this much talent. <laughs> uh, and I don't think that Oregon you know, should see any more of those, uh, the rest of the year. Yeah, that's fair to say. Um, in terms of the PAC 12 getting better, uh, one team that isn't getting better. And I'm only mentioning this cause it just popped up on my phone, but Arizona state just fired Herm Edwards as we record this. So their loss <laughs> to Eastern Michigan last night was the biggest blemish on the PAC 12 thus far, other than maybe Colorado. But I mean, honestly, other than those two teams, it seems like every team has a chance to like compete with 
the rest of the conference on like a good day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like they're plucky at worst is how I would call Arizona and honestly Cal after that game against Notre Dame. So we'll talk about those a little bit later, but I agree with you. I mean, I think nine is still the target for success in this season. Um, it's just such a tough schedule, man. Like on the road at Wazoo and Arizona is never easy. Cal's played us hard the past couple of years. And then as we can't stop mentioning these last three games, like UW, Utah, and Oregon State, you have to assume we're going to drop at least one of those just based like from a statistical standpoint. I would love to see. Um, I'm just really excited to see this team on the field more though. Uh, yeah. I definitely think Oregon has to be considered a conference contender at this point still after a performance like that. Um, but one thing I really want to emphasize is that the Pacific Northwest schools in particular uh you know, I mean, you have USC and Utah being the favorites, but then the rest of those four teams are combined 11-1 and one so far to start the season, uh, with Oregon's loss against Georgia being the only blemish on all four of those teams' schedules. Uh, that's a Kanzano stat right there. Shout out to him. Um, I don't know when the last time that happened was, but it has to be a long time, I, I would think. Um, so anyways, the Pac-12 is really looking good. Um there's not been as many embarrassing results so far. And I'm just really excited to have a competitive season without the burden of like sky high expectations for a team. You know, um, last year felt like, well, it just felt extremely stressful the entire time. Even when we were winning games, like we weren't happy with the performances with a team like this. I think you can still keep the expectations relatively temperate and sit back and just kind of enjoy what we do well for now. Um, and then at the end of the year, we'll talk about what carries over. But is there anything we want to talk about from the rest of this game before moving on? I know we already kind of strayed from it, but um, is there anything else you want to bring up before we talk about some of these around the Pac-12 games? Yeah, the last thing I want to say is just kind of an overall recap of what expectations kind of should have been going into this game, knowing what we know now and grading out like how we did and honestly when we learned that Nakua and Romney were out along with a couple injuries along defensive line I was I was with you and one of our other friends and I was saying this this spread really it's a game Oregon should win by double digits Mm -hmm. that's how I felt um and still Oregon completely you know over overachieved those expectations uh, and that wasn't, you know, the final spread that it was, but Oregon dominated this game through the time that mattered. I mean, 38-7, whatever we want to say about BYU, are they a top 15 team? I would say probably not, you know. Are they a top 25 team? Maybe, maybe not, but they're at least a top 40 or 50 team, and beating them 38-7 to in the time that, you know, the game was competitive is an accomplishment mm-hmm regardless of where they fall along that spectrum and for me it was a huge moment of validation for this staff yes there are a bunch more big tests to come over the course of this year but this was a really tough game where it it was a competence test I think is the best way to put it Mm. you know this Mm -hmm. is a BYU team that's very experienced Kalani Sataki has honed that identity of them and and if you didn't have a real idea of what Oregon's team was and an idea of how you want to attack them schematically, 
um, and weren't pulling the right level levers, this game could have gotten really tricky uh, and you could have dropped it. And I think that would have been a huge black mark on, on how we view this staff, but they passed that test. Um, you know, they leveraged the talent advantage that Oregon had to really the best capabilities you could. Uh, so I'm excited to see what we have the rest of the way. And I think it makes me feel kind of like you said, better about what, what we view the rest of this season as that this Oregon team is pretty good. There's a chance to do some fun, exciting things here. Uh, and also that, you know, the bottom isn't going to fall out that we're going to get through this season and more likely than not, there'll still be some optimism around this program and the potential for this staff to grow. There's just one word I want to highlight from this entire game for me. And I've been mentioning it throughout this pod, but confidence, the confidence to always go for it on fourth down and get it all three times, the confidence in your players to, you know, play the backups, even when maybe the starters could go. Uh, and the confidence in play calling that we saw just throughout the entire game on offense and defense. Um, you know, there's, you can still draw upsides from something like uh, one of the corners not playing well. And that's that the, the coordinator trusted his corner to be able to make plays um, and be able to make stops. So um, this was just, it was complete domination by Oregon. Like you, like we've been saying, wasn't as close as a 21 point game. It even feels weird saying that. Uh, post-game win percentage, Oregon 100%. It wasn't close. Uh, advanced numbers, Oregon's winning all of them pretty much. Um, so, yeah, I was just really, really impressed with this performance, and I think it bodes extremely well heading into Pac-12 play. Um, speaking of Pac-12 play, let's go around the conference here a little bit. Um, I'll let you have the board, man. Uh, which Which game would you like to highlight? What do you want to look at? Yeah, I think we've talked about the Washington game enough already. Hopefully people get a good picture of that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Washington pretty thoroughly dominated Michigan State team that is also pretty fraudulent uh, and <laughs> and had a major weakness in the area that Washington had an advantage in their passing scheme. Um, mm -hmm. So if you want to say more about that, you can, but I, I feel like we've covered that pretty well. Um the the other big one that stood out to me was this UCLA South Alabama game. It yeah. looked like huge red flags for UCLA, who was a team going into this year that everyone said um, maybe they maybe they're in tier one with Oregon, Utah, and USC. They were right on that kind of fringe there, and people highlighted that their first four weeks there was no way they could lose any of those games. No way. And and yet, as the clock ran down in this game, they were losing to South Alabama, who's a pretty good team, but um, they're not Power 5 good. They, they, they wouldn't compete yeah. to win the Pac-12, uh, and they played UCLA pretty much even uh, without a, you know, a few weird calls here and there. They had a fake field goal they ran with three minutes left with the ball in the lead. Um and then, you know, a field goal wins it for UCLA as time expires. There was a lot of chance for this game to go wrong for UCLA. Um, and it just makes me feel like this program is, is pretty unserious right now. Uh, I think we can expect them to get blown out by Washington probably in two weeks. Um, I think, and after that, they go 
Washington, Utah, bye week, then Oregon. Uh, I think that those three weeks, which were at one time a chance that we thought, you know, okay, UCLA is going to prove itself to be legit here and and they're going to be creeping into the top, you know, 20 going into that Utah game. And then if they win that, they'd be a top 10 team. Um, Mm -hmm. Now it looks like those are probably going to be some consistent beatdowns that solidify UCLA being, you know, a middle to bottom half team of the Pac-12. Yeah, unfortunately, you're right. I mean, they <laughs> we were watching the end of this UCLA-South Alabama game, and every time we looked up, we were like, really, UCLA? Like, you're still not getting it together? Um, they got lucky in this game. South Al looked like the better team, to be honest. They looked like they should have won that game. Um, so I guess that saves Chip's do- job temporarily, for better or worse, depending on probably whether you're a UCLA fan or not. Um I also want to talk about Cal and Notre Dame, another game we were watching in the morning. Um, this is a game Cal could have won if they had any like semblance of an offense. I guess that's credit to Notre Dame's defense in, in one vein, but um, Notre Dame are awful. Their quarterback is yep. just abysmal. Um, so it would have been nice for Cal to pull that one off, but unfortunately they couldn't get it done on their last drive. Um what else? What else? I, w- I was terrible in my picks this week, by the way. I went two and six. You went five and three. You're you're cruising at a steady like fourteen and eight on the season, Woo. Uh, which is pretty nice. But um, echo everything you said about the Washington game as well. It was just unfortunately not as entertaining as I thought it would be. Um, Colorado still terrible. I tried to zag when everyone zigged and went with I went <laughs> with the Buffs against the spread. It's just a terrible idea. Um, I'm now on the fade Colorado bandwagon. Uh, Wazoo took care of business against Colorado State, um, which is one of the worst teams in FBS. Uh, bottom, like, 10 team, according to people who know what they're talking about. Uh, Utah took care of business against San Diego State. USC, same thing against Fresno. I mean, feel free to shout out any of these that you want to deep dive on a little more. But I mean, impressive showing by USC, to be honest. Uh, Hayner yeah. got knocked out of that game, I think, early in the second half. Uh, it was, you know, more of the same from USC. They've looked really good. I mean, the skill position talent on offense is incredibly impressive. The offensive line has looked better than we thought it would, um, better than I thought it would at least. Uh, but at the same time, they've taken huge advantage, um, of turnovers. They got two again in this game, and I think that puts them at 10 so far this season. Um, and, uh, I just think the defense hasn't faced a real test yet. And the offense hasn't faced a near, you know, even upper level defense yet. Uh, so I think we're going to see what they are when they face a good team, but it's crazy to say they're the seventh best team in the country right now, according to the rankings. And, and it's not completely ridiculous, uh, either because, a lot of teams have have shown an inability to blow out inferior opponents uh, that we thought might be flirting with top 10 status. Um, worth noting, the Vegas still has USC, Utah, Oregon as the, the top three in the conference. Um, Washington, more at, uh, let's see, looks like plus 1,200 is the best odds you can get on them compared to Oregon's plus 70 are, are the best odds you'll find. Um I'm really interested to see what happens with Arizona State now. 
we've talked about this scenario all off season. Um, Arizona State is certainly a, you know, people have acted all off season like they'll be a lame duck team halfway through the year, uh, and now as of this podcast, they are after losing pretty badly to Eastern Michigan last night uh, at home. Herm is gone. We'll see how the team responds. But I think it's safe to say them and Colorado are in the basement in this conference. Um, But everybody else is doing, I think, a little bit better than expected. I mean, I guess Stanford maybe is still at what we expected. Um, Utah didn't win that game against Florida, but they still look dangerous in terms of being a conference contender. Oregon State getting it done against Montana State in Providence Park. That was cool to see. They had 27 points in the second quarter. Um, and then Arizona getting a big home win over North Dakota State. I know that sounds weird to say, but they should be proud of this win. Uh, North Dakota State are, you know, <laughs> they're a team that will beat you if you're not prepared. Um, and they're a really, really good team that would beat probably, like, let's see, man. If North Dakota State were, like, ranked in the, the FBS, i put them probably somewhere close to half. Like, yeah. they're not... They're not terrible compared... They would beat a lot of these bad group of five teams. I mean, one Um, of the things I tweeted out was was Eastern Michigan, who beat Arizona State, is not a good G5 team. Like, I think people assume when those games are competitive that they are. They lost lost to uh, Louisiana by almost 30. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, just not competent at all and they barely beat eastern kentucky who's an fcs team like they're they aren't a good g5 team and they beat asu north dakota state would wax eastern michigan like would probably beat them by (laughs) two scores at least i mean it might not be a blowout but like they're a better team than eastern michigan is um so you know that's an impressive win enough for arizona um and they fought through it. Uh, you know, there were missed field goals. There were back and forths. It was a really fun game to watch to, to kind of cap off the slate. Uh, and credit to them for, for getting it done in the fourth quarter there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it makes the Pac-12 look better, definitely. I'll admit already that I was wrong about Arizona. I still thought they would be pretty incompetent. Uh, I took the under on their two and a half win totals in in our session i I haven't i didn't actually bet them or bet against them um but they're two and one already uh they had a pulse against mississippi state even though it wasn't particularly close um and san diego state and north dakota state are two great wins that should give them a lot of confidence heading into this slate and to be honest man i'm looking at the next two weeks right arizona could be four and one by the time they host oregon in the desert in week six uh because they play at cal and then host colorado up until then um obviously oregon and then going to uw is really tough before arizona gets that by but as it relates to to duck fans like we're gonna watch out for that game in the desert um and i'm feeling a little less confident about that uh than i am about this wazoo game heading into it but well we can cover that in the midweek preview yeah, that, um, that Cal spread right now is Cal minus four. I just had to look it up real quickly, but that'll be a really, really? fun game, Arizona at Cal next weekend for the Pac-12 sickos at least. My only other note is that Colorado better pick up a win sometime soon. 
because they won't be getting it in their last four games. Uh, they play Oregon, then at USC, at UW, and against Utah. And I do not want them being an 0 12 team um, for rivalry purposes. I think Cal so, or Arizona State are, are our only hopes here. I mean, full Arizona State quit watch with Colorado at home. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's going to be the buff Super Bowl, I think, to vote to avoid zero and twelve. Yeah, that's that's going to be a real sickos matchup for sure. Um, all right, man. Anything else in the conference, or I'll I'll let you get the first pick on the national slate if you want. I think the first pick on the national slate. I think it's it's a pretty obvious one, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's bro. Got, State. No, no, it's got to be. Upstate. The Tulane Green Wave. Oh, yes. With a 17-10 win over receiving votes, Kansas State. Received the fourth most votes of anyone left out of the poll. Tulane went to Manhattan and got the win. And don't look now, but the Green Wave are (laughs) potentially two, three wins away from being ranked, dare I say. Oh, oh. And legit uh, American Conference contenders you have to be if you're going into a a team like kansas state and getting a win i mean kansas state had like high hopes this season they were kind of like in the same bucket as oregon state in terms of like okay there's still some work to do but if everything gets put together it could add up to like a, a conference title appearance potentially that's a huge win absolutely um Reed goes went to Tulane, by the way, just in case any new <laughs> listeners don't understand what we're doing. Um, uh, all right, I'll, I'll take one of the top ones then. Uh, App State, bro. We watched the end of this game, and holy crap, what a finish. Um, if you have five minutes for the rest of the day, go check out the App State at Troy game. Just watch the last five minutes. Um, absolutely insane. Brings up some really interesting clock management questions. Troy took an intentional safety at one point um, to make it a two-point game. Just crazy stuff. Uh, and then obviously you've probably seen the the Hail Mary at the end already, but holy crap, that was entertaining. Um, in terms of competitive games, that was, there weren't many around the country this week. Uh, week three is notoriously a little bit lagging, but I mean, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State all just ripped their opponents to shreds south carolina scored like a garbage time touchdown to end all garbage time touchdowns and it kind of pissed me off because i wanted oregon to be the only team that had scored against georgia still but anyways uh michigan and clemson four or five still got it done i don't know why clemson is number five or oklahoma's number six i guess somebody's got to be there and we just really don't know who else is elite yet um i don't know if michigan's elite either but whatever Oklahoma State is apparently a top 10 team. They So, same with Kentucky and Arkansas. That Arkansas game was really close, though. We were watching that for a while, huh? Yeah, I don't know how... how I think Arkansas stayed at 10, which is a little uh, questionable, yeah, maybe, weird. coming off of a game they, they really almost lost to Missouri State. I mean, it was pretty competitive. Yeah, in the Petrino Bowl. Um, and then I, we got to talk about Miami, Texas A&M a little bit. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Miami just never really got it going offensively, uh, no. which probably sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> muffed punt kind of defined this game. Uh, I think it just really gave A&M the separation that 
they needed to just lean on the rest of this game. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that was kind and of when, it because when they got a lead, Miami looked like incapable of, of driving the field to get Even when back. Miami did like get in the red zone, they still kicked field goals uh, inside like the 10 yard line. Um, so that, yeah. <laughs> Crystal ball is going full crystal ball um, from his time there. Yeah, they kicked an extra, let's see, they kicked a field goal when they were on the 10-yard line, 4-yard line, and uh, from 4th and 4 at the 16-yard line in the 4th quarter when they were trailing by 9 points. So, you know, just do with that information what you will, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Any other games you want to look at? I mean, again, there weren't very many that really stood out this week, honestly. Um... I think that's that's about it for me. Uh, I think we still have a lot to learn about where everyone past the top three teams kind of sits in the country right now. Uh, and yeah. potentially some optimism for where some of these Pac-12 teams could be. Uh, I mean, that Utah loss to Florida is, is looking a little worse than we thought week one. Um, but what Oregon and Clemson, or I mean, what Oregon and Washington did this weekend was legitimately impressive. Uh, and like you said, the PNW schools, I mean, Wazoo getting the win at, at Wisconsin and, and what Oregon State's been doing, all those teams, I think, have a have a shot to, you know, maintain rankings uh, throughout the season if, if they're the ones who, who win these Pac-12 games. I agree, man. Um, all right, bro. Anything else before we sign off? I think that's about it. Good win for the Ducks uh, and excited to get into Wazoo and, and the rest of the slate before the bye week. Yeah, man, I can't think of a time where I've been so excited uh, to watch really Pac-12 conference play as a whole, not just Oregon's Oregon's games. So looking forward to that. We will see you all midweek for our Wazoo preview, and go Ducks. Go Ducks.